Well, hello everybody and welcome to my next episode of my podcast series, Did It Anyway. We've had a little bit of a break from our last uh, few that we've done, but I'm really excited to be back on uh, for our next episode. Now, today's session is with a, a friend of mine, um, Alisa Horomana, who lives up in the sunny state of Queensland, a long way from the, the cold, cloudy place in that I live in Melbourne. Um, but I met Elisa probably oh, it's a few years ago now, a couple of years ago, um, when we were actually in a business venture together and uh, got to know her and her husband pretty well. I didn't get to meet a lot of the other family, but I got to meet her and her husband and a little, a little baby at the time um, and just got to know them as just beautiful people and just amazing people, good family people who are focused on, on doing the best they can in life. And so I just enjoyed spending time with them in that period of time and, and have kept in contact over the last couple of years, which is, has been really good for me. Now, Elisa's got a story to tell, but before we jump into her story um, of overcoming and probably dealing with some of the hardest challenges you'd ever deal with in life, I wanted to introduce herself and tell us a little bit about uh, her, her family and um, who's who in the zoo, I guess, in her family. So uh, I'll hand over to you, Elisa. Tell us a little bit about who you are and your family. Sure. Hi, everyone. Um, so I've been married Ricky Horamuna. We've been married for 28 years now. We have seven children. Uh, that in itself was a bit of a journey. We um, had to wait eight years for our first um, baby to to join us. So there's a bit of a um, waiting period there. Um, but we persevered and, and we're blessed to um, have our first baby come to us uh, after eight years of being married and since then been um, uh, blessed with lots of wonderful children to uh, join our family. Um, so now you had, they were pretty close together, is that right? Yes, yep. So the oldest is um, 20 uh, then... That's Ricky Lee. Taryn is, um, she'll be 19 soon. Brayton just turned 18. Um, Corbin is 15. Uh, Deacon is 12. Season is 9. And Zion is 3. Wow. I didn't miss Full house. Guys. <laughs> Full house. I thought, it, I thought it was busy with five kids, but that takes the cake. So that's, <laughs> that's a bit busier than my house. But um, you, look, you've... Um, always been really positive and upbeat about life and that's something that really has has uh, stood out to me as I've known you and Ricky uh, particularly. Um, now today we're going to share, you're going to share a story that is, um, it's probably for me, I, I have to be really honest, this is this is the hardest call that I've had to make <laughs> um, and this is probably one of the most challenging um, experiences to, to share this with somebody else. Now you mentioned that you've got seven kids. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Brayton today. So could you tell me a little bit about Brayton, who he is? Like, uh, Tell me about his sort of characteristics. Sure. Um, so Brayton was born. Uh, so I had two girls first, Ricky and Taryn, and so we're pretty excited to uh, have our first boy come join our family, that being Brayton. Um, he was a goer from the get-go, this young man, he uh, um, into everything and wanted to do everything. And I used to, um, I would say, in his as he was a toddler, that he just had uh, two gears: overdrive and off. <laughs> There's no <laughs> interplay. Just a week going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just a goer, into everything and wanting to do everything. So. We recognised all this energy he has, and so we um, put him into things that would um, he'd be able to put some focus into. And so he had, had a natural talent talent for sports. So he um, uh, got him into swimming pretty early. He might have been four or five years old. Um, so he's born here in Australia, and. Um, so when we moved here, seeing how much the weather is so beautiful here in the um, pools and beaches, we wanted to make sure our children could handle themselves in the water and be safe. So we put them into swimming and found that him, he had quite a, 
um, good talent for that. So he's a, a competitive swimmer. He's been swimming for a good uh, few years. Played his hand at a bit of tennis. Was, wasn't too bad at that as well. But um, with uh, so many children, as you can imagine, Ken, I wanted to just, they could all choose one one talent that they wanted to excel in. And that Fair enough. Support and them supporting in. that would be hard enough. <laughs> just one talent. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so he chased swimming and, and that went, took him through to when he started high school, found a bit more uh, challenging in regards to swimming is quite um, demanding. Morning, hour and a half before school and an hour and a half after school each day, Monday to Friday. And then uh, competitions on the Saturdays, kind of swimming carnivals. So as he started high school, he started to lose the desire to want to wake up early as any teenager would. Fair enough. <laughs> and uh, his heart turned to basketball from there. So um, uh, we supported him in that. We were a bit sad because we loved um, seeing his, his talent in, in, the, in the pool. And um, he had some goals he wanted to accomplish there. However, his heart wasn't in it anymore. He um, found basketball a new love. So, um, yeah, put going into basketball. In that time as well, he's, um, it, we as a family, we, we like to sing a lot. Um, and so in singing as a family, Ricky and I noticed this, this boy can hold a tune. He's not too bad. So I'd put him in choirs with me and um, um, in um, different uh, things where he got to share that talent as well. Um, and he picked up an instrument uh, playing the bass. So his dad organised a, a band. So he had this little group of youth, each playing a different instrument. And uh, Brayton was the bass player and the, one of the lead singers. Um, and so they... Um, I love how you uh, shift attack all the way. Like, it's like you'll go this way, then we'll go this way. Then we'll, don't worry, we'll, we'll do anything yes. you want to do. <laughs> you, whatever. That's fantastic. I know. But I think, I think that, that gives a good sort of synopsis, I guess, of Brayton and how full of life he was. And, and, uh, and I guess I want to take you now um, to the place that we both don't want to go. But um, obviously being on this podcast, you've clearly gone through something that's pretty challenging. We're going to talk a little bit about that now. And um, Brayton... Obviously, super full of life, but if we roll back the clock two years to July 11th, um, 2016, I'm going to let you tell this story and explain a little bit what happened that day. Sure. Um, so this is the first day back at uh, back to school after the uh, holidays, school holidays, and um, my son loves hanging out with his cousin. So I we. I really got to see him that whole school holidays. He's with his um, cousins pretty much the whole time, having cousin sleepovers and hanging out there. So I was quite looking forward to her school starting so I could get to see my son again and him be home. Um, so we all, um, that morning, uh, the first morning of school, as we do as a family, we, um, we have a strong faith and believe in God and, so we have routines that we have, uh, Ricky and I, desire to raise our children with. And one of them being that we have um, scripture study together in the morning and family prayers. Um, and so that's how our morning started, that I went around waking all the children up and come together in our lounge and, and had that time together. And... Uh, it's a wonderful way to start the day, and I love it. I also teach um, uh, Bible study um, in the mornings with from the ages of 14 to 17. So that's before school starts also. So um, I had two of my children, Taryn and Brayton, a, a part of my um, students in my class, and I teach from home. So shortly after our family prayers are over, the students start arriving um, to come to class and 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 share that morning as we um, discuss together. So I had um, uh, Taryn and Brayton in there with me that that morning. 
um, had a wonderful lesson and then it's time to drop them all off at the bus stop to head off to school. Um, during the holidays, because my son was having too much fun, he didn't even get the chance to get his hair cut. He likes to have his uh, zero fade styles going on, bit of a cool dude, things are pretty particular now. He's 15 and knows what he likes and what he wants. So we uh, discussed about um, after school that day I'd meet him at the hairdressers and um, get his hair cut. So he, he left the home in, in such good spirits and uh, excited for the day ahead. And um, yeah, so that unfortunately as my son walked out that door that morning, Um, not knowing that that would be the last time I'd see him, um, that he wouldn't be walking through those doors again. So, um, <clears throat> so tell me, uh, tell me what happened that morning after you dropped him um, off at the bus stop and said goodbye to them. What was the um, what happened? Sure. So um, with that uh, morning getting things done as, as a mum, cleaning up, and, and as I was doing that, I got a, it was about 11 o'clock, and got a phone call from the school, and the lady on the uh, other end of the phone said she was from, calling from the office from Brayton's High School, and um, her question to me was um, asking me if Brayton is allergic to any types of foods and um, never he never has been, not that I'd known um, and so I said no, he's, he's not and she says oh, he seems to have had a reaction to something in um, home economics um, so he takes home economics, he loves his food so he loves to cook as well and that's one of the subjects he loved and enjoyed being a part of so um, she asked us if uh, asked me if uh, we could come up to the school and um, if we could be there that um, they're quite concerned and that they had called an ambulance already um, so I, I hung up from her um, my husband was home at the time and so I come in and just told him I felt after hanging up calm, a calmness. This isn't the first time um, to get a call from school for him. He gets asthma and um, he. Um, this may be the fourth time that I've been called that he's in sick bay or an ambulance has come to, um, to get him at school. Something's not right. Um, but it's usually been his asthma and so I was thinking along those lines, oh, our son, he must be getting a bit breathless, so I'll grab his Ventolin inhaler and I'll take that up and just go and check on him. I felt a calmness and a peace that I didn't, had no idea what I was going to walk into. And um, so uh, Ricky was home that morning, so we went together to the school. As we were driving there, um, I noticed uh, my husband start to get a bit anxious and he um, put his foot down and started to get us there quickly. <laughs> um, I noticed this change in him and we, uh, so we arrived at the school and he went to parking so I just jumped out and started walking towards the office and saw this lady running towards me. Um, I thought she was running somewhere else. I didn't realised she was coming towards me so I um, just sort of said hello and went to carry on and she grabbed me and said are you are you um, Mrs Horamona Brayton's mum I said yes and then I realised oh she was running to me okay so she said oh, come with me um, so I was following her and she was walking at a very fast pace at that moment I started to feel a little bit, a little bit anxious. Okay. I um, my other daughter that goes to the school, Corbin. I happened to pass her. It was 
it was um, lunch break and said to her, hey, Corbin, is Brady all right? They've called me, I've come to see Brayton. And she knew nothing, says, oh, I don't know, probably is asthma, mum. And she carried on with her friends. Um, and so I kept following the, the teacher around. And so we went around to um, this area where um, the uh, first thing I see, the ambulance had arrived by now just before we had got there. And and um, so on the concrete was my son on the ground and he was blue. And um, that hit me. Um, like a ton of bricks, just seeing my son on on the concrete um, with that colour. So... I called out to him and um, wanted to uh, run and be at his side, but I could see the ambulance workers were busy working on him. Um, And the principal of the school was there and teachers that had been there through the whole time were surrounding um, me and um, and Brayton at that time and the principal um, he was very calm and he helped me to be calm and he said we need to let the um, the ambulance workers do what they can and um, and that Brayton can hear you. And to um, try to not be um, make the situation um, more of it gets in my mind and what I was hearing, um, so they could do their work. Um, um, let Brayton be around them, and not have his mum feeling distressed and. Um, not so, hiding the situation. Yes, like. that's yep. it. So I had another teacher, and she's a dear friend. She's actually um, one of my son's uh, swimming parents that knows Brayton as well and works as a teacher at that school. Um, she was just around me and helped me to keep calm also. I couldn't look. I, I just, there's a little wall, and they got a chair for me, and I sat there. Um, by this time, Ricky was just come around the corner um, to come and find us, and remember um, just seeing him and um, him seeing maybe the the state that I was in, and. Um, he was concerned straight away. Um, um, we embraced and at, at that point, just, did um, go ahead. No, go ahead. I remember just asking him to um, fix it. At, at that point, did they they kept working on him at the school, or did they pop him in the ambulance and and then head yes. to the hospital? Yeah, they kept working on him. Um, I was at that time leaning on my husband to please make it better. In uh, um, my heart, I was uh, praying. 
and the um, shortly after that, the um, uh, the ambulance workers said, "We've got a pulse." That's all I heard, and I leapt for joy. That was um, it. Felt like an eternity <laughs> um, waiting to hear those words. Um, that whole time sitting there, there was no pulse. They had the um, fibrillator on him and everything. Um, but to hear those words uh, um, gave me some um, hope. hope, absolutely. So they got him all. I still couldn't um, run to be with him. They needed that space to get him onto the stretcher and into the ambulance. And um, so in that time, I had hope I, in my heart. I was, he's going to get to the hospital and they're going to fix it. He's going to be fine. He's going to be all good. And we're going to talk about this experience like we had other experiences with him where he's been unwell. Um, so they put him in. They had the main big ambulance and they had another car ambulance where they um, needed to all the space that they could, so I couldn't go in the ambulance with him. I needed to go in the car ambulance with another uh, worker. And so um, so that was fine. My husband went off to get the kids in and sort that out while I followed Brayton and uh, was going to follow him in the car. Uh, during that time, sitting in the car, so I'm waiting and waiting and waiting, and we're not moving, and the... Uh, Ambulance is not moving, um, so I'm starting to wonder what, what are they doing there? They're still prepping him in there, um, and then I look over and the ambulance door swings open, and I see the um, ambulance um, workers frantically around him. He had stopped breathing for another nine minutes. It had been already 22 minutes. Um, before, during the time of no breathing until they got him breathing again and then once they got him into the ambulance he stopped again and it, that went for another nine minutes um, I panicked and jumped out of the car and, and called out to my son. My husband had already left, so he didn't know of um, these other things that were happening. And, uh, so I was just... So from then, so from then, you went to the hospital, I guess. Um, yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Um, and then, how long until Brayton actually passed away? Um, so we got to the hospital, and there was. Um, so this was on Monday. Um, there was still hope. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, there were planning scans and, and um, MRIs and things that every time any slight movement of him, um, all his vitals would um, accelerate. And um, so they couldn't do much um, without causing him some discomfort in some way. His body had gone through such a traumatic experience. They just wanted to rest him. Um, so uh, during that time, we as a family um, uh, turned to our God often and we prayed and uh, the word got out, I guess, through um, social media of our son. And um, so we had family and friends and um, people from his school, from his swimming, from his basketball club. Um, and community, people that knew him within the community, um, praying that our boy would 
um, pull through. So um, he was put on uh, life support and um, I stayed with him in the hospital and uh, that whole time I didn't want to be far from him. Um, so uh, we're still not sure and he's in the uh, children's intensive care because of his age. He still was classed as a child and so um, the hospital um, were uh, amazing and they cared for him um, the best we could ever have um, asked for as well as the school and what they did in watching over him and helping him. Um, we have teachers there today that um, um, he has made an imprint on their hearts and uh, they've actually, the school has made a memorial area where he collapsed um, from the um, uh, anaphylaxis. He went into shock from making calamari in his home economics class and um, that brought on cardiac arrest which stopped his heart. Um, and so the teachers that surrounded him at the school were um, before the ambulance came, they were right there and um, helping them through that whole situation with the EpiPen and the um, CPR. Um, we feel that they did all that they could and what they did allowed us these moments with our boy in hospital where I feel he could have easily been declared uh, dead um, at the school. But they lengthened that time for us, I feel, to gather around him and share some special moments with him. So, um, and and you shared some you shared some of those moments with me before when we chatted just prior to this podcast release. And I'd love to chat just about those just a little bit um, prior to Brayton passing. Um, you mentioned that you mentioned before he went to school that you discussed uh, that he needed a haircut, <laughs> and um, yeah. and you you mentioned to me about about contacting the hairdresser. Could you just share that story just a little bit? Sure. So uh, each morning I was getting uh, feelings that um, my son was communicating with me that he desired um, different things. And this was one of them. He wanted his hair cut. We had, uh, um, we had uh, groups of over 400 people coming in and out through out the hospital to visit with him and to see him. They had a bus from a school come with teachers and students, um, people in the community. Um, we and the hospital got, let them all come through? In the hospital, yes. This is very different. They had never allowed that quantity of visitors. Um, but um, my husband, being who he is, had it all organised in the visitor's side. He would bring them in groups of eight bring them through up the corridors to me and I stayed with Brayton the whole time. So I got to visit with every single visitor that came and shared um, with with my son. Um, and I talked to my son and he was, uh, it was like he was just sleeping. And so I wanted each visitor to know that they could be with him however they wanted. If they wanted to talk to him or they just wanted to be there in silence, if they wanted to touch him, it was okay. However they wanted to share that moment with Brayton was okay. And so um, one one that sticks out for me was one young boy who's a, um, quite a, um, a, a, with a tiny frame and he came in and he... He was just weeping. And he started talking um, to my son and he said to him, um, Peyton, how am I going? How am I going to do school without you? Um, this boy shared with me that he would get bullied at school. 
and that Baton would um, joke with him and laugh with him and um, help him through those moments. And because he was with Brayton, um, the bullies wouldn't touch him. Um, so these are wonderful experiences I got to hear from different visitors, and that's one that stood out to me. Um, I wouldn't have known that had this boy not come and shared that with me. And now, we mentioned, like, we didn't get to the hairdresser story yet, but I'm conscious of, I want to get to the, the other gooder part, the happier parts, I guess. <laughs> and I'm, I'm straight up here. This is really tough for me to to hear, and I already know the story, and it's still <laughs> it's still pretty tough to listen to, but I just love your honesty and your openness to share. This is real and raw, and I appreciate your openness to do that. The, the, the story of the hairdresser, if you could just touch on that just for a moment before we jump to... Um, the celebrating, sure. which I think is a really cool message to talk about. Sure. So um, that morning, as I mentioned, we were due to meet after school to have his haircut. Um, so I think it was Tuesday morning. I wake with this strong impression or this feeling that our son wants, still wanted his haircut. Mum, I need my haircut. Um, and he's a funny boy and would joke about things. And I remember... Um, Responding, yeah, I know, son. All the chicky babes from school are coming. You want to be looking sharp, <laughs> eh, son? So I called my husband. He was still at home with other children, about to come up to the hospital. He says, um, "Han, our boy wants his haircut. Oh, can you find a way?" <laughs> and so he called the um, hairdressers where he gets his haircut, and that um, it's, uh, they're a lovely family that are still um, dear to our hearts. To this day, my family don't pay for haircuts. My 12-year-old son is gets to enjoy that wonderful blessing. Um, they don't allow our family to pay for haircuts there. Um, such a wonderful blessing that continues to surround us. Um, so these, this lovely family, um, my husband called them. Just at that moment, they'd, um, it had gotten out about my son, I guess, and they were just discussing Brayton. At that time, uh, when Ricky called and they um, they got a shock, they said the father of that boy is on the phone, and they shut up shop and came straight to us at the hospital. And they cut his hair in the hospital. Yes, with all their gear. <laughs> him, <laughs> and his, him, him and his mum, <laughs> um, Kane and, and Misty. That's the name of their barber shop. Is Misty's. And they came and she was his assistant and had all his gear and um, so tender and so beautiful to watch them um, work and the, and the nurses assisted and um, holding his head and turning his head so the barber could do his, his um, work and make him just exactly how Brady liked his cuts um, he had a certain way with the zero fades and the, the hairdresser actually even called one of their cuts the Brayton cut. <laughs> so you can go in and, and, and ask for that and they know what you want. Um, it's so precious. So he um, touched their lives as well and they for them to come and give that service to us really... Um, touched our hearts and so he got to be looking sharp and and slick as these uh, visitors were coming through in droves. Um, something, something, Elisa, that's really stood out to me already um, on this discussion is you've just gone through, you've just explained your experience of losing your son, which is, I could, like, I can't even, I can't even imagine um, that situation and it would be very easy for you to become angry excuse me, <coughs> angry and frustrated and, and bitter, but instead you've chosen to be so grateful for the support from the school, from the hairdresser. And so you made a choice to be grateful uh, in, through that extremely trying and horrendous time. Now, there's a couple of things that I do really want to get to and talk about um, before we talk about celebrating, which is an event that you had, we're going to talk about it in a minute because I think that is one of the most inspiring things that I've ever seen. 
the uh, after Brayton's passing, or just prior to Brayton's passing, um, he was spoken to about um, Brayton becoming an organ donor, um, and that wasn't previously set up, and so that was they needed to ask your permission. And, and I'd love to know um, your decision and how you came to that decision and why you came to the decision that you did. Sure, absolutely. Um, there's a moment of significance. If I could just take you back the, the day before that, which oh, please go ahead. Yep. was was on Wednesday morning. Um, so he'd been in hospital Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday morning, I woke with this uh, desire and this feeling to to kneel in prayer. So I went and I went into a, a private room and, and knelt in prayer and um, was praying fervently to uh, God and as I was having this prayer um, my eyes were opened in a way a better way to say it is my spiritual eyes my eyes are still closed but my mind's eye was opened and I saw at that moment um, God standing in front of me and I was holding my son in my arms. And I um, saw this vision and I lifted my son to God. And handed him to him. And at that moment, I felt in my heart, he belongs to you. We, um, part of my faith, we believe that we lived before we came to earth. And so I know that God loves him. And that he that he loved him before he was even born and placed in my arms as a newborn baby. So I trusted and had faith in God that he would do what's best for my son. In my depth of my heart, I envisioned him hanging him back to me, healed, and that's so much what I desired. However, at that moment, I also received such a comfort and a peace. Um, and a love that if he wasn't handed back to me, that I would be okay that all would be well. And I opened my eyes at that time because it was so overwhelming. And I felt and I saw that little um, room filled with angels. And they um, were embracing me. I um, don't remember. This is a bit of a walk from that room back to where my son was on the um, in his room. I I have no recollection at all of that walk. I remember just feeling such peace, such comfort and love. that I think I flew back to him. I don't know how I got there. <laughs> I just remember <laughs> being next to my son again. The angels carried me. I don't know. I just remember being next to my son again. And smothering him with kisses and tears <laughs> and 
just repeating over and over the words, all will be well, son. I had um, accepted um, what was my son's journey from there and handed him to God with full confidence. That that is an that's an amazing level of faith, and I think um, some people gain strength from themselves, some people gain strength from God, some people gain strength in a variety of different ways, and I'm just amazed at um, I guess your humility and your acceptance of the situation that there's no one to blame here. It's just the situation and and you were able to accept it in such an amazing way. The following on, as I mentioned before, about about Brayton becoming an organ donor, you were asked um, just yes. at that point for Brayton to become an organ donor and, and your response. That's right. So so this happened Wednesday when I had this amazing um, revelation. And the next day, um, the doctors, he was booked in for MRI, but um, in moving him, it wasn't good for him to be moved. So the doctors um, did a test on him and where he was so they didn't have to shift him and they organised um, to meet with Ricky and I at 2 o'clock on Thursday um, and so when we went into that meeting I remember waking that that um, that morning and feeling still hope um, and um, joy that he would open his eyes. Um, however, I, I had a prayer before um, meeting with the doctors and I felt a heavy heart and in a way I had already been um, given my answer. I tried to shrug it off and didn't want to recognize that heavy hearted feeling and went into the meeting and in the meeting, the doctors um, shared with us at that meeting that our son was brain dead um, and showed us a picture of his brain and uh, the size of his fist um, shows it all cloudy um, where it showed where um, without oxygen to the brain, his uh, big chunk of significance has was dead and that he would not um, recover. Um, as the doctors were saying this, I, um, my mind was still trying to look for some hope. I looked to my husband for some flicker of hope in his eyes, um, but he um, just held my hand and, and invited all the doctors and nurses to leave if we could have some time alone. So when they left, um, um, we collapsed into each other's arms and wept. Um, we spent some time together there and then Ricky went and called them back in. Um, and when they came back in, they um, asked in um, uh, asking us or talking to us and asking questions and because um, my mind was still a bit clouded and still trying to register what was just said, uh, I didn't hear what they're asking but at that moment my heart leapt for joy um, and I turned to my husband and I just saw him saying oh we I'm not sure about that I need to think about that um, and I asked him what what did they just ask and he asked said that they're asking if he might um, be an organ donor our Brayton and I said yes I said, our son wants this. And 
that he indicated to me that he's okay with it and he gives his consent along with mine. Something you said to me on the call before we started this podcast, you said it was a gift that I could give to another mother. Yes. And I I thought that was amazing in such a situation where you are you find yourself in, in probably the worst possible situation, your son has just passed away, that you had the the generosity and kindness in your heart to think of somebody else and I think that's what we could learn so frequently from from other people or from our situations is if we are able to think of other people in our most trying and most challenging times um, we at that point we we become a better person and we become um, more humble and more accepting of life and and see things see the best things finding that little diamond in the rough and 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 Brayton is able to help, I think you told me, eight people, or it was eight different things yeah. that they took from Brayton's body. Yes, that's given them a better quality of life. Yeah, yeah so amazing, amazing stuff. And I, I really appreciate, Alicia, being so honest and raw. Like, that is, that is a very personal experience that you shared, and I really... I genuinely appreciate it. As you know, we have the same faith. <laughs> and so yeah. for me, that is... Um, it's amazing to hear um, your faith and your commitment and your um, willingness to accept the plan that's uh, sort of been set out by God for you. Now, I do want to skip forward a little bit. I'm conscious of time. We could talk all day. (laughs) Um, But I want to skip forward a little bit to, you had an event um, uh, the day before Brayton's funeral, which is something I've never seen before. And, And the reason that I got you on this podcast was not simply because um, because your son passed away, which is a horrendous experience, but it was more so because of the way I've watched your family as I've spoken, particularly to your husband over the last couple of years, but watch the way that your family has dealt and handled we handled the situation um, that that you've that you've been handed. I mean, this is not by anyone's bad choice or. Uh, there's no one to blame here. It's just a, a really horrible situation. But the way that you've handled it is, I think, inspirational and remarkable. And you had an event called Celebrating, um, where I've watched videos online of it because I wasn't there, unfortunately, but where everybody got together, a huge amount of people, it seemed, um, to not mourn Brayton's passing necessarily, but to celebrate his life. And it looked like a extremely fun evening. I'm sure there were plenty of tears shed on that evening as well, but could you tell us about why you did that and a little bit about the evening? Sure. Um, So um, just our family uh, love performing. We uh, do kapahaka together. We, uh, any birthdays or celebrations, we, um, we're constantly getting together. We're such a big family. I have eight siblings. My uh, husband has six siblings, and um, and so we we love any excuse to have a party. And my son loved all of that. He is right in amongst it, performing. And um, we were raised this way by my mum and dad to um, be confident in our own skins and get up and perform. If, if we if we want to, and so often we would do these things, and when we get together as families, would all each family would have to do a skit or something, um, a song or a dance, and so um, we um, had this in our family, and would often um, with all of our kids get us all practicing and doing something for the event, whether it be a birthday or whatever. So. Uh, my son loves that, and this is all part of her music, dancing. Um, we wanted to celebrate his life. Celebrating the actual event was a surprise to me as well. I'm just giving oh, you a right. background of what my family, I wasn't, they had organized this privately and left Ricky and I out and our children out of this whole thing. All we knew was, we needed to be here at this time at the chapel at this time. Um, 
we we got a just of the name was called going to be called celebrated how appropriate and I was so looking forward to that and this was the uh, day before we'd be burying him um, having his funeral the night before so we'd organised it with the funeral directors and everything to have him there with us they picked him up and pulled him to we had him at the um, church that we attend there and um, had him right there next to Ricky and I and all our children and we had a party <laughs> I walked in with there were lanyards everyone had lanyards with um, Brayton, a picture of Brayton and VIP um, seating and uh, there was you had the couch at the front of the room is that right? we <laughs> had a couch yeah they had a Ricky and I like king and queen thrones to sit there and there were droves of people and they had decorated of course he loved basketball so the roof was decorated with um, singlets of every basketball team um, you could think of um, and they had massive um, pictures of him um, playing basketball or shopping he loves culture kings so picture one was of him with his culture king bags and one was of him dunking the basketball um, and um, so we walked into this uh, there were close to a thousand people in that chapel they're all down the corridors and the rooms um, wanting to experience this um, alongside us we were um, really blessed and it was really a healing um, night for our family in our hearts to get to send them off um, doing something that he loved doing. Um, we're on the basketball court, so he loved to play basketball. And on the stage, there's singing and dancing. And I come from a family that's quite talented musically, so had family from Sydney that came that sing together, and um, a family that came that have a business with videos and um, um, recordings and, and that's why a lot of these things are recorded and went viral because of their wonderful um, things that they put together um, to show their love to our family and to Brayton. Um, all those videos uh, so professionally done come from them. Um, so they captured glimpses which is what you would have seen of our celebrating and the funeral day that they've put together, which are treasures for us now to have. And, and um, for those that are listening, for those that are listening, there is a, uh, you can see it online. It, it is well worth just having a look and whether you have to search through, I don't know where to find it exactly, but if you search through Elisa's Facebook page or Ricky's Facebook page, you'll find it yeah. um, on there somewhere. And it is inspiring. And, and that's what really stood out to me. And I didn't know that it was a surprise to you guys, which that's very, very cool. Um, but what really stood out to me is the way that you've dealt with it, not just at that point, but it was ongoing after that, just with a an outlook of positivity. Um, and something you mentioned earlier is that service gets you through. So the opportunity to go and serve somebody else um, helps you even in the sad moments that come, obviously. But when you're focusing your mind and your heart on helping other people, whether that's on a day-to-day -day basis, you mentioned about the organ donor, but you mentioned a story to me earlier about um, how you, you teach Bible study in the morning and you did that and you took a break from it, but you decided to keep teaching it even just after a short break because you felt like that was your way of giving back um, and you can continue to give back. Is that right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I know that through um, service taking my eyes off myself and putting it on others that um, that continued to give me this comfort, this peace, this love that I um, had from that moment of that um, uh, personal experience that I shared. It continues to, it's like a bubble, <laughs> I feel, surrounds our family with this comfort and love. And I know that um, a big part of that is because we we choose to um, serve others and by serving others we uh, 
blessed abundantly and um, when I teach these um, youth, well, I'm not teaching, we're teaching each other. <laughs> I'm a facilitator yeah. amongst these wonderful youth um, that um, the uh, joy that comes from um, talking about God and all that he encompasses, the love, the mercy, the um, compassion, um, and that, that can't help but rub off on me as I'm engaged in uh, learning from um, the Word of God um, that it envelops me with the strength daily to see purpose in my son's passing. I love that. And and when we spoke before, and I like to be really open on this podcast, there's nothing that's rehearsed or... Um, you know, there's no, we don't even have very many set questions, but um, something we spoke about before when we, before we started the podcast, I said, I want you to share your story, Alisa, how did you deal with it? And, and Alisa said to me, she said, well, my faith got me through, Baron, that's what got me through. And are you okay with me sharing that? <laughs> and I said, of course I am. Absolutely. You know, and um, this is your story. And I've been, I'm amazed that at, and a couple of things. One is that through the whole focus, and there's something that's extremely inspiring to me, Lisa, but through the whole discussion is that your focus is on other people and not upon yourself. That's inspiring because I can see from that approach um, that has given you the opportunity to have, a, have gratitude in your heart for what you have as opposed to uh, looking for reasons why or looking for things that are better, just accepting the situation and and looking to serve and have gratitude in your heart. And I think your faith in God and what is to come um, has given you such a gentle heart. And that gentle heart is, um, has given you the opportunity to not, certainly not show outwardly um, any level of bitterness or anger or, or hatred or anything like that associated with what could come with the loss of your child in such a, uh, in such a dramatic way and, um, so I want you to know from my perspective that that's inspiring. It's not inspiring just to me, but it's inspiring to many people around you. Hence the reason you had so much support because clearly you've um, shown those that as an example, obviously throughout your whole life. And for those that are listening to this situation, uh, to this, this podcast, I really want you to think about those really challenging times that you're dealing with. Some of you may have lost a child. Some of you may have lost a, a partner, a spouse, a loved one, a, there's ways to deal with it that are better than others. And I think this is a, a really amazing example of a family of faith and, and one that have gone down the path of a, a gentle heart to accept the situation without bitterness and without, um, without anger. And I just, I just appreciate your example, Alisa, of you and your family and the way that you've dealt with it. And um, I think, People sometimes might not feel the internal strength themselves, but you've highlighted that they can feel strength from God and not only from God, but from from other people as well, the community around that people care and people love. And sometimes when we have bad things happen, we don't look for that as much as we, as, much as we focus on the bad thing and how bad it is for us. But when we can, like you said, use our eyes, uh, take your eyes off yourself, and look at other people and what they're giving and what they're, how they're showing kindness, that can soften our hearts to, to experience these things in a better way. So I'm just so grateful that you've shared um, a little bit of your story today. You're welcome. Thank you for your kind words. It's been a pleasure to share. And uh, like I say, as we finish off now, like I say with, um, with every podcast is... There's something that you can take out of this that can apply to your own lives, no matter the situation that you're dealing with. And it's okay to talk about challenging stuff and, and sad stuff. And, and when we do that, it helps us to be able to work through it and think of different ways that we can approach it. And anyone that's listening that, that has friends or has experienced things in their life that, that they've been able to get through and work through and have a positive outlook be able to deal with those i'd love to talk to you i'd love to have you on a on a podcast with us in the future but once again elisa thank you so much for your time you're an absolute champion and 
and I, I really am grateful for your example.